Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. And um, today on the program, I have a very special guest and someone that I wanted to be the first person that we would have on the show uh, post-election cycle um, as um, as the show is, is recorded in California and uh, sponsored by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and the Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, we definitely have a, a fan base and, you know, our immediate um I, I suppose our friends and family are probably reeling from the results of the the latest election. But um, the, my guest today is Isra Allison, and she is a principal behind the brand new Congress movement. And I thought that um, that might help to give a little bit of perspective to um, to the listeners about um, just how this election is affecting people of color, um, people who have been activists, um, people who are sort of um, enlightened a bit by the Bernie Sanders movement and the other grassroots movements, and um, and how this all came to be. So, uh, Israel, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Matt. Absolutely. So, um, you know, before we, we set this up to, to, um, to have you on the show, we, we had a phone call and we spoke about a little bit of your background. And um, I think what would be great to start with would be, you know, how you kind of came to the idea of Brand New Congress and um, maybe explain that first and then we can work backwards. Sure. Okay. Well, um, so the idea of Brand New Congress was developed by former Bernie Sanders staff members as well as volunteers. Um, I myself had been a volunteer in the Bernie movement um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, just kind of got my feet wet in politics, had never really been involved with politics beforehand, paid attention um, mm-hmm. as much as I needed to, but um, Bernie Sanders definitely struck a chord with me, really resonated with me, all of the issues that I absolutely stand by. And I began volunteering um, just locally and took it on the road and became um, heavily involved with the movement um, on the grassroots level. Ended up being a delegate for Bernie Sanders and as the primaries came to a close, um, I think many people were wondering what's next, what can we do to continue with the revolution? And brand new Congress was the perfect mm-hmm. next step to really look at um, Congress in 2018 and how to really um, uh, provide uh, progressives, uh, to present progressives in, um, in the House and Senate. So we're looking at 400 seats um, in every congressional district across the country. So really excited about that movement. Yes, definitely. And But before you had sort of become interested in Bernie or even necessarily aware of his platforms, uh, talk a little bit about where you were working. Yeah. So I had been working at a corporate job at um, an organization called Duke Energy, which is the, one of the biggest utility companies in the country. Um, it is uh, primarily coal-fired uh, stations and um, nuclear stations, and I had been a corporate trainer um, working in health and safety. So it was something where after seven or eight years, I had uh, transitioned, as with many corporate jobs, from different roles. But uh, for the past three years, I had been working as a corporate trainer um, in, in um, health and safety. And um, at the same time, I was involved with some environmental movements such as um, Greenpeace and it was it became a huge conflict of interest and um, it kind of was perfect timing for me to, to get involved with politics to get involved with the burning movement because um, everything that we were we had been talking about with getting to 100% renewable energy those conversations were a little bit um, awkward for my um, my workplace your corporate overlords exactly <laughs> well yeah you know for uh for people who um who first came to the show because of the the kind of tangential connection to comic books and comic book origin stories i mean this is almost like the um the retelling of the tony stark iron man origin you know a guy who's working for a company that's producing uh, military hardware and then takes a stance to become a hero and um and trying to minimize um, that type of, of industry from becoming, um, a threat to the planet. And here you are coming out of, you know, the coal and energy industry 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure at a certain point, you know, getting more involved in the grassroots activism, that you're starting to miss work a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> they exactly. might be starting to notice that. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, when I got involved, um, you know, really gearing up for all of the primary races in every single state, um, eventually ended up getting on the road quite a bit after we lost our Super Tuesday um, uh, primary on March 15th. Um, Mm -hmm. our ragtag group just got on the road every weekend and start knocking on doors in every upcoming primary state, um, primarily around, um, I-95. So it was really easy to just get on, you know, get in the car, drive to Virginia, drive to New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, states that were pretty close by. You go from Florida to Maine. Yeah. So we were able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I guess we'd get back home, um, at like, 8.30 8.30 a.m. on Monday, and then I would, you know, just go into the office, you know, eyes were red and just so tired from being on the road, and um, eventually, just this just became my life. It, it really, I couldn't, I couldn't stand to be in the office for more than a couple of hours. I just wanted to get back to real people with real problems and, and really just trying to, uh, to continue that movement, and so eventually, my coworkers were wondering what the hell happened, and, uh, <laughs> And then I, I, I realized that it was this is my calling. I really needed to just do this full time. So that's when Brand New Congress came along and um, eventually ended up working full time for, for this organization. So it's been really, really rewarding. That's fantastic. And I think, you know, this is a good um, opportunity for people who aren't familiar. Definitely get online, look up Brand New Congress, look for the tenets of, um, of the idea of you know, the frustration of the last eight years in Congress basically uh, stonewalling government and completely shutting down the ability for the federal government to move forward with any kind of plan, um, most famously in the last year, um, refusing to even meet with the the president's proposed um, Supreme Court justice um, in to replace Justice Scalia, who had passed away. Um, Scalia, of course, had passed away on a private golf course um, uh, of owned by somebody who he had made a judgment for previously. And I don't think that gets quite enough um, publicity um, when people talk about what a constitutional scholar Scalia was. And, and you know, a lot of people on the right who are, um, you know, adamant that the that the next uh, Supreme Court justice has to be someone who protects the Constitution. And I think if you go back and read uh, a lot of those decisions, uh, that might be an easier mantle to put on on Justice Kennedy. No relation. Yeah. <laughs> Pure, and in full disclosure, no relation. I'm not related to Justice Kennedy. Um, and, um, and he is actually a Republican. And But as far as a constitutionalist um, and a Bill of Rights advocate, most of the court's decisions have, um, I think he's been on the winning side of 98% of the Supreme Court decisions that he was involved in. So um, I think the way that we get a new um, Supreme Court and the way that we get um, a government that functions is through your movement, you know, that um, energizing people who don't think that they have a voice to vote, but also energizing and drafting candidates. So what's that like? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, what makes Brand New Congress so different and such a revolutionary movement is that we are drafting candidates in 400 districts across the U.S., and we're not looking for career politicians. We're not looking for, for example, rich white lawyers, because we want to change the way Congress looks. We want Congress to actually represent. And when you talk about the House of Representatives, you know, in each district, they're supposed to represent each district. And this this is not what we're seeing. We're seeing a Congress that is mostly white. We're not seeing the diversity that we need. And we're not seeing the the industry diversity either. So what what we're calling for is we're calling for um, working class people, you know, people that actually run our society, like, you know, blue collar workers, like moms and dads and, and teachers and engineers and small business owners. And so that when we, and you can go to the website and see what the plan is, the plan that we have laid out is going to be the, the legislature that these, these candidates and our future Congress people will be passing on day one. 
So they'll have all of this great industry knowledge when we're talking about education, when we're talking about getting to 100% renewable energy in a very short time. We'll have engineers that have that background already. So they'll be able to speak, you know, directly to these issues and be able to pass this legislature. So it seems it's it's very different because this is something that um, many people are just not familiar with. It just seems like such a radical idea, but it really isn't because the whole the really cool thing about our campaign is that we want these working people to continue to do the work that they do every day, the work that they have so much integrity about that kind of makes them who they are. With that and their volunteer work, we want them to continue to work. And then when it comes down to going to Washington, D.C. in like 2018, we want them to be fully prepared to represent their, their constituency and their district. So we'll just be asking them to maybe get on the phone for an hour a day to discuss, you know, maybe some media appointments here and there. We'll be running their entire campaign. So we want to be expecting them to, like, try to raise money, you know, in their districts, we'll be doing that, you know, we'll be going door to door. So it's sort of like a presidential style campaign, right? The way that we did with Bernie Sanders, where it was Bernie, the man, and there were, you know, so many people all across the country that were knocking on doors for him. So when you sign on to brand new Congress, you're signing on to the idea of brand new Congress, because you want a brand new Congress. So if you're in California, you're going to be celebrating the congressional races in North Carolina and in in Maine and in Florida and anywhere. And so you'll be tapped into that network just like, you know, and you'll be just as excited as the people that actually live in that district. So that means we'll just have one, like one entire like unified platform and one campaign. So there'll be one website, sort of like a wiki page where if you have a question about a candidate, um, all you have to do is go to the website and look it up. And look up your district and you'll find out all about that candidate, how they can beat the incumbents, um, what their background is, and and all of that. So you'll be really, um, really well informed on the candidate and on the movement in general. So it's really exciting. And, and this is not married to one political party either. This is you're, you're talking to Democrats, you're talking to Republicans, you're talking to third party candidates. And it's it's all about um, finding the community organizers who represent the communities that they would be representing in Congress to um, to step up into the public eye and get the support for them. And so it's really important when you you know you talk about energizing people in California about elections in Maine that um, you know I had friends just this past week you know on on Tuesday um, making phone calls to Ohio. Um, making phone calls to Florida, um, you know, to campaign for the the candidate that they were hoping was going to win. And, um, you know, that that's, that's an important part of all of this, that this isn't a partisan idea. This is a notion that the way you get rid of gridlock is clearing those old cars, you know, out of the way and putting more efficient vehicles there for people to be able to get from place to place. And, um, you know, while that might be kind of a broad uh, analogy, it really works because, you know, there are people who, I, I think if this election was a referendum on anything, it was definitely a referendum on change, but it was more a referendum on desperation. And what I think it boiled down to, I think if there's one moment that um, that really turned the tide it was um, when Secretary Clinton referred to um, Donald Trump's supporters as a, or half of them as being a basket full of deplorables. And I don't think that people on the left understood what a devastating and elitist statement that was seen as being to people on the right and people who weren't even necessarily all the way on the right, but who um, were kind of resonating with their desperation that um, where they were living in in places in the Midwest and in the um, in the South, that they had seen industry go away and they just didn't see anybody. There was nobody talking to them politically that they could vote for. And, um, you know, as we look at the autopsy of this election and we see how the percentages broke down, I've been seeing a lot on social media, um, a lot of my progressive friends um, becoming incensed at other progressive friends for voting third party and if you look those percentages had absolutely no effect on on where 
Hillary Clinton lost the Electoral College. And, and I mean, we should definitely state that she won the popular vote. So, um, you know, it, it's it that's a bit of a pickle in this whole situation. Yeah. You know, um, and yet another reason for us to, also, you recall. Yeah. But in 2000, Al Gore was the, um, he was defeated because a third party candidate grabbed enough of the vote in Florida to prevent him from winning the electoral college. And with, um, with Clinton in most of the States where, um, where there was a, a contingency of Jill Stein voters, um, Clinton either won those states handily or the percentages of voters for Jill Stein and, and in the Green Party were so small that it had absolutely no effect um, against the amounts of turnout that, um, you know, people calling the, uh, the white lashing, um, which um, makes me feel terrible being, you know, a, a white guy from, from Massachusetts living in California. But um, certainly the, the turnout of, of white voters for Donald Trump turned the tide and they were, you know, not a percentage point. It was a couple percentage points. And where you have Gary Johnson picking up traction, he would have been pulling votes away from Donald Trump. Those are people that were also feeling the kind of desperation and, and were looking for a change and looking to a third party to accomplish that. And by securing more than 1% of the vote, I think Gary Johnson did actually ensure that libertarian candidates would make it on the ballot um, in all 50 states. So that was not a wasted vote. And I think when people dismiss the um, the idea of, of third party votes as being insignificant, um, in this case, they're wrong. You know, I think that in 2000, um, Ralph Nader did have a direct impact on Al Gore's candidacy and cost him the election. But um, this time around, I think it got people to the polls that otherwise would not have voted. And the Bernie Sanders voters who were so energized by his campaign, you know, people like you and, and people like me, quite frankly, I, I was a, a Bernie Sanders supporter in the primaries. And um, I think that we can speculate about whether or not he would have won. But um, what we know is that he would he had at least he had connected directly to a voter base who I don't think the ultimate um, contender for the Democrats did. You know, she just did not connect. Um, it didn't seem like a new message. It didn't seem like an earnest message. It seemed like there were two candidates in that party in one person. And I think that Donald Trump, by running a kind of WWE campaign, um, just pushed those emotional buttons. And, and I guess, you know, we're just hoping that we get the Donald Trump of 2008 and prior who was a, a liberal-leaning, um, you know, fiscal conservative, and and not the the rhetorist that we saw on the campaign trail, and um and and who has remained a little too silent for my comfort on some of the um, actions of his supporters in the days following the election, with um, you know, school children um, bullying um, minority students and. Um, and that type of activity. And have, what have you seen, um, you know, in on the East Coast in the, the days after this election? Well, I, I'm seeing a lot. And if you look at anything on the news around New York, especially um, in the Carolinas, we're seeing an upcoming KKK rally um, to celebrate Trump's victory wow. in the next couple of weeks. I believe it's wow. December 3rd. Um, we're seeing... Um, People that feel entitled by their racism and are, you know, using, you know, very like a lot of slander towards others in the community. Um, just, you know, it's it's not a pretty sight. And um, you know, we're we're calling for public apology. We're, we're we're calling for Trump to do something about it. I mean, you you everyone has seen what has been happening in the last couple of days um, all across the country um, with protesting with riots. Um, there was a, a big march here in Los Angeles yesterday. Um, certainly, everybody has seen on the news um, what's been going on in New York City and in other places. What's interesting, though, is I think we've seen a kind of backing off of seven or eight of the main tenets of the Trump campaign, where um, Chris Christie is no longer part of his transitional team. Um, they're not talking about. Um, completely repealing Obamacare anymore. They're talking about holding specific um, parts of the plan and changing it rather than repealing it. Um, we've seen people in his camp kind of back off the build a wall 
along the Mexican border talk, um, and um, quite a few of the other inflammatory positions. But what they haven't done a good job of is speaking directly to the bullying that's been happening in the wake of this election. And I think the longer he waits to get ahead of that, the um, more damage there's going to be to fix. And if we know anything about the Affordable Care Act, we learned that preventative medicine is 100 times as effective as fixing a condition. So um, if these, if the Republicans don't get out ahead of this, if they don't, you know, really try to to unify um, a lot of the actions that we saw, a lot of the, the talk on the on the campaign, then I don't know that there will be a possibility for effective governance, even with a majority in the Senate, the House, and quite possibly soon in the um, in the Supreme Court. But um, and what was the other thing I saw that um, he was trying to make a point of reaching back out to LGBT um, um, citizens, and that's hard to do when you when your running mate is Mike Pence, you know, who would not have been reelected as governor of Indiana because of his prejudicial legislation and his belief that um, homosexuality can be cured with counseling and. Um, you know, the, um, this insistence upon burying fetuses and, and, and just like really fringe stuff. And, you know, you sort of think that maybe this was a like a George H.W. Bush thing, you know, where he picked, you know, the biggest dummy in the room to be his vice president, guaranteeing that no one would assassinate him. <laughs> you know, um, for, those, for those of us who remember um, Dan Quayle. But, um, you know, that there, there is still a, a great danger connected to uh, the inner circle in the Trump campaign. And the best way to combat that is by making sure that we don't lose numbers in turnout in two years and in one year. There are going to be elections, you know, that um, that are going to be important in replacing people who were just obstructionists. And right. um, I guess that will be the proof. You know, we'll know if the brand new Congress movement is is really picking up steam on top of the numbers that I'm hearing of, of people joining every day and signing yeah, up and, and accessing the website. We definitely, you know, gained a whole lot of momentum you know, if, in the last few days um, because everyone's looking for a way out. Just just like it resonated with me, you know, after Bernie, it was a huge loss for a lot of us. And we were feeling that, um, okay, this is the end. You know, where do we go from here? And brand new Congress came at the perfect time for me and for a lot of us. And it's, it is coming at the perfect time because um, in order to continue with the progressive movement, um, you know, we have to focus. And we've been saying from the very beginning that um, in the end, the, the president doesn't matter. Um, it's really Congress that that actually makes the real changes that, that we need to to move our economy forward. And the biggest plague on our platform is all about job creation. It's about, um, you know, rebuilding our economy and really rolling up our sleeves and getting to work. And I know it sounds a little cliche, but, um, and this is what Trump has talked about for Brianna's entire campaign. I feel like that's why a lot of people gravitated towards him because they have seen their factories closing down in their communities. You know, for the past 40 years, jobs and and people's incomes have been declining and just access access to jobs in general have just been disappearing. And, you know, Trump's promise was, you know, we've got jobs, 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 and let's, you know, bring it back to the country. Let's make America great again. But, you know, instead of just talking about it, let's actually do it. And and that's what yeah, we're instead of speaking does. in the abstract, let's have a plan. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a, a, a quick break here just to hear from our sponsors. And um, I guess I should remind listeners that, um, and I know it's sort of dangerous um, on a, a program like this for me to get um, maybe too political. And I hope that this isn't seen as being too political. And I think that um, it, if it's not evident, what I'd like to say about my own personal political views um, is that um, I w- my candidate didn't win. But um, I'm hoping that the promises, the good promises that were made on the campaign trail of um, ensuring jobs and employment are, were earnest. And I hope that, you know, President-elect Trump is able to 
um, get the wheels spinning in a way that um, was not allowed in the last administration just because of political gridlock. And we're hoping that because there is such a, um, a, a, a higher percentage now with uh, um, winning the Senate, um, or I should say maintaining the Senate and maintaining the, um, the Congress, uh, on the Republican Party, that you know, it's it's kind of theirs to lose now. You know, it's they've they've got all the pieces in place. Let's hope they can make some progress. Let's hope it's good for you know everyday working Americans, and um and I'm willing to to give it a shot. But I'm also very much into this idea of of getting rid of the people that were gridlocking things for a really long time. So um, we're gonna hear a word from one of our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a moment with uh, Israel Allison on Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Uh, we are speaking today with Israel Allison, who is a, um, a strong proponent of the brand new Congress movement, um, a grassroots activist, and uh, we were talking about you know the the problems facing um, the the country in a way um, in an election year where it was so close, and we have a president elect who did not win the um, the. The popularity contest in in winning the majority of votes of, of American citizens, but won only by the electoral college, and um, and how to fight that malaise by becoming activated in local politics, and um, people who are in other states may not realize that here in California, where um, where I take my program and this is a phone in, so we've got both coasts covered in one in, in one one uh, episode, but the. Um, there were a number of, I think, over 120 amendments um, to California law in this last election. And, of course, depending upon what district you lived in, um, you could vote on some and not all, but several of the really important ones, um, at least important to the majority of, of Californians, um, were passed, um, including legalizing recreational use of marijuana, um, I believe that the requirement for um, condoms in adult film shoots was was struck back down, um, which had driven a lot of business out of um, L.A. County and even out of the state of California, and um, other amendments to um, to maintain uh, access to affordable housing were passed. But um, you know, I think one thing that has plagued a lot of just the everyday American people is that laws aren't just a single idea. That um, right around the 1970s, um, it seems like laws went from being pretty basic and then just explained in legalese to the tune of 40 pages to being 1,200 pages of 500 ideas um, stuck into a single piece of legislation bearing one name that does not involve the other um, aspects of the law that's being passed. And um, generally, these things pass on their name. So a few years ago, um, when Prop 8 was a, a big controversy in California, Prop 8 was an amendment to voting yes on Prop 8 meant you were voting against gay marriage. And so a lot of people were confused in the voting booth and thought that by voting for Prop 8, they were voting for gay marriage instead of against it. And it was um, reversed in, in the very next election here in California, but it was quite a surprise in a state the size of California and with a, a LGBT population the size of ours that, um, that it was, you know, not recognized immediately and now we're looking at the possibility of on the federal level um, of a reversal on the Supreme Court decision and that puts even more importance on getting energized in your local elections and in your state elections. So um, what are some of the success stories that brand new Congress has had thus far? Um, yeah we so we you know we, we started out in April of last year or this year oh my gosh it seems like it was this it was last year, but it's this year. So we started out in April. <laughs> it's in a and, long election uh, cycle. All through the election cycle. After the election cycle? Well, yeah. So, it's um, been a very long election cycle. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know, I know. Sorry. Um, yeah. So 
you know, we started out um, just spreading the word about what this plan, what this idea is all about from um, since April. And we started our 100 city tour in June and we were able to mobilize many, many people all across the country. Um, we started with um, trying to do some local organizing to, to try and get people to basically spread the word about Brain in Congress by essentially collecting signatures for, you know, if you support a brand new Congress, sign on to our website, and then eventually you'll be able to receive all of our emails and things like that. So um, from there, you know, we grew from, you know, to about 40, 45,000 people. Um, and then um, after the election, we're, we have grown by about 20 or 30,000 people. So it's pretty amazing um, the growth that we've seen um, you know, we, we were featured on like Rachel Maddow and we have several articles posted as well. So our work, the word is really getting out. I think, um, it's, it's an idea that everyone can get behind. I think that's what's so great about it. It's a post-partisan idea. And so many people are sick and tired of parties in general is, is really our opinion. And, um, you know, People may ask us, will we be starting another party? And that's not really in our heads right now. We feel like, like I said, people are sick of parties. Maybe it's not the solution. Maybe it's just about actually getting people together and and agreeing to this this one this platform that speaks, you know, volumes for for all parties involved, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. So that that yeah, I think that really it's, it's time to really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's really time to recognize the similarities instead of splitting hairs over some of the differences. And certainly, um, depending upon what state you're in and depending upon um, your geographical location and districting, and of course, we could probably do a whole show on gerrymandering um, and how the the divisions were set up and and why certain um, districts are shaped the way they are. And it was completely carved up um, by... Um, the Republican Party in um, during the the Bush years, they re- redistricted a lot, and of course the the Democrats had done that prior, and um, it just put together a really it kind of locked in the fact that certain states are going to always be red states, and certain states are always going to be blue states, seemingly because of the way the math works out at the congressional level, and um, you know you can be a Republican in Kansas and you can be a Democrat in Kansas and your ideas might not be very different at all because you are representing the same people. You may come from the same economic background. You may live almost, you may have come from almost the same neighborhoods and um, the requirements in certain states vary. So you don't necessarily even have to live in the district that you are governing. And um, I think that one thing that would vastly improve the representation of uh, of the general public would be to get the money out of politics, um, you know, to um, to review the um, the laws governing. Um, you know, I, a lot of people don't realize. You know, if if you're in office for two years, you're basically calling up and asking for money on day one for your reelection campaign because two years is is not a long time. And if there's a lot of money in politics, it's not just a popularity contest where you live. There's outside interference. There's, there's, um, there's lobbying. There's a lot of private interest groups that are getting into local elections because, you know, um, in certain states, I can't remember where it was. I think it was Nebraska where the, the, um, the state assembly made it illegal to discuss um, alternative energy policy that um, a lobbyist got in there and got them to pass a law against using, um, you know, alternative energy, which guaranteed the fracking industry could just come in and take over. And um, it, it shut down wind power, um, like, overnight. And, you know, that that stuff is, is kind of crazy. And I, I've always thought that it was silly to me that the party that said they believed in, in smaller government gets involved in such small things that don't seem to be you know, the domain of, um, of government, you know, whether it's uh, telling people who they can, they can marry or who can have kids and, and, and all of this type of stuff that, um, that seems to be counter to what the main tenet of the term conservative was. Um, and I think also, you know, um, and on the extreme left, 
that there was also there's such a um a kind of a short fuse on people's ability to hear anything that just doesn't agree with what they agree with that um you know I think it's I kind of hate using the term political correctness I'm not even sure I understand what it is anymore um but I think that um that there's I think that went you know, out the if, window if you completely shut off <laughs> maybe beforehand but definitely now yeah but you know there, there were like when you've got comedians like jerry seinfeld uh chris rock and uh larry the cable guy you know vastly different audiences none of whom will play college campuses anymore because of the amount of um of student protesting over any little joke then I think we, we kind of have to look at it. And I remember seeing a lot of um, video footage more last year than this year, you know, of people saying this school is about having, you know, this isn't about education. This is about a safe place. And it's kind of like, uh, it really is about education. And um, certainly, you know, you want to have a safe environment, but what does that in, entail? And so I think both sides got so polar opposite that they lost track of what that middle ground is. And it's important to reach the the reasonable and rational people in every party that reflect the voice of the people where they live, and um, and that's how government's supposed to be. That's the idea of of Congress is to is so that each pocket population can have a vote. And I think one of the other things that that kind of prevents um, the voice of the people from from being um, reflected in the vote, of course, is the electoral college and. Um, this is the second time in 20 years that um, the the person who lost the popular vote is going to become president. And um, certainly a lot of people are unhappy with that. And people like to point out that, you know, the system was set up by the, the forefathers. And, you know, other people may point out that, you know, the forefathers it would not fare well in public opinion these days um, if you look at some of their beliefs and practices. Um, and while they have, they did draft a document that has lasted this long, it was always meant to be edited and, and corrected and adjusted to reflect the voice of the people as, as, as time evolves. So, um, in connecting to, you know, how does brand new Congress, um, kind of vet the people that would be drafted to run for office? Like what's, what are some of the things that you would look for? And does it revolve around pinpointing the specific race, um, mm-hmm. in the political race, not not the um, ethnicity, right, right, but the um, the specific uh, contest, or is it a kind of blanket idea, and then reach in and start tooling district by district? Okay, well, great question. I mean, we are definitely at right now in this moment, we are recruiting candidates, and so individuals that are, you know. Signed on to Brain New Congress, have you know contributed and support Brain New Congress. We we have this call to action where you can actually um, recommend someone that you feel is best um, to run on our slate. Now we have the following criteria. First, they need to be you know hardworking people, like I described earlier, that are actually working people that are doing great work in their community and. You know, you can kind of go back to 10, 10 to 15 years and see that based on their resume that they are serving their community every day and that that sort of activism, um, you know, whether it's within their career or, you know, if they're taking time out to really serve the community. And, you know, they should be, you know, good public speakers and they should agree with the plan. And, you know, we want people to to never sell out. And when we look at these like hardworking teachers and principals and we've seen in their life work that they're they're proven to never sell out because obviously the idea of running for Congress is the most ridiculous thing that they could have ever been presented with. And this kind of response is <laughs> right. more of a, a drive for us to get them in the office in office because, you know, the idea of going to the cesspool of Washington DC actually like really upsets their stomach. And I think about some wonderful people like I'll give you an example. Think about like Reverend Barber, you know, Reverend William Barber, who is just doing all this wonderful civil rights work in in the South. He actually lives in North Carolina, but he's just like the modern day Dr. Martin Luther King. And when I see him and I think, and you know, a lot of people want him to run um, 
but I can imagine how he would feel about even being presented with that opportunity, you know? So these are the kinds of people that are just doing this hard work that are just sacrificing themselves every single day. These are the kind of people that we want. And um, so how do we vet them? Um, so we, you know, we've got a list of about, I think we're up to a little bit more than 2000 nominations so far. Um, we go through, we give them a call. Usually we'll call the, the person who nominated them to ask them some more questions about, do they know about brand new Congress? Have they reviewed the platform? Are they on board? And just a little bit of history about, you know, the, the work that they've done in their community and in their work. Um, and, you know, we like to match the districts up where we can win. So, like I said, when we're doing, when we're looking at Democrats, Democratic districts, we're looking at Democrats who are registered as such. And um, if it's a blue district, but we're also looking at, um, uh, you know, the incumbent. So if the incumbent is African-American, we, would, we wouldn't want to challenge them with someone who is white because we want to make this the most diverse Congress ever. So we wouldn't want to take people out of their seat, especially if they're progressive and already agree with our plan. So there's several that, you know, any of our listeners on the call can think about their favorite congressperson. Um, Keith Ellison is a prime example. And many of the people that may have endorsed Bernie or, you know, that have, um, you know, have allegiance to Bernie Sanders and agree with his platform, chances are we're not going to run against um, that person. So we look at every single district and look at all, looking at all those nuances around that. Um, but we are, you know, that, you know, really seeking women um, because we want more than 50% women on our slate. And we want African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Native Americans, Latinos. So we want to, you know, if a, if a community, if a district is primarily Latino, there's no reason why we would run someone who is white or someone who is, you know, not really representing that district. So we look at that and then right, we just right. It's it's candidate. good to match that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like police departments should be. You know, it's I think that police departments should reflect the um the background, um, ethnicity and creed of the population that they police. And um that is of course, you know, been exposed as a problem in areas where there's a lot of problems between um citizenry and the police and in, in in police shootings and that they tend to be most prevalent in, you know, the parts of the country where that's not mirrored. You know, certainly we saw that in Missouri not so long ago, but we're seeing it in other places. And I think that, um, you know, that someone should kind of look to the brand new Congress example and maybe start looking at, you know, a whole new police force idea in getting people, you know, getting young African-American men um, to uh, step up into roles with the police department in cities like Chicago and Detroit and and um, and having those police forces start to mirror the communities. And, you know, it used to be, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old and I remember um, knowing the police officers in my neighborhood as a little kid, uh, not just because we were introduced to them and we knew their names, but because they were also little league coaches and they were, you know, really, they were shop owners, you know, they, they, they were people that we knew from the community who became policemen. And um, certainly there was an aspect of cronyism. I, you know, I'm from Massachusetts and there was definitely an aspect of cronyism and it was um, a primarily white police force in a primarily white city. But, um, you know, over time it did evolve and, um, you know, it's my hometown of, of Lynn, Massachusetts was frequently on the TV show Cops throughout the 1990s, um, shortly after I had, I had moved out of Massachusetts to California. And I would see my friend Brian Keaty's house, his front door on Cops all the time because of the skirmishes that would break out in the middle of the street in front of his house. And um, I think if, if we if we don't have people representing the um, that public infrastructure, if we don't have people representing um, multiculturalism in that, you know, in the fourth estate, in the media. Um, and if we don't, you know, back up the media, you know, there were a lot of really horrible things said about media in this last election cycle that were completely undeserved. Now, granted, we may have, we may have gotten our, you know, the president-elect because of the media. Um, he manipulated it quite well, and he was somewhat of a genius at, at that. But the amount of scorn that he threw on on very respected um, newspapers and news outlets um, who were reporting true stories and 
this kind of idea that all media is bad media and that none of it is worth a damn. I mean, you know, we know about the um the the things that were halting these campaigns where they needed to be halted because of the New York Times, because of you know, different aspects of media. And, you know, depending upon how you feel about the outcome of the election this time around may may be um, indicative of what you think about WikiLeaks. But um, at a certain point, certainly um, they were performing a public service um, in releasing some of the Snowden documents as well. And what we're learning is that um, that's what we have to be aware of too. And that's why we need, you know, new congressmen and congresswomen because you know the the NSA um, now has ridiculous powers, and those powers are about to be given to President-elect Trump. And if we're to hold him at his word in some of the things that he said upon the campaign trail, there's a lot of room for concern. And you know, you've got um, some of his um, his his not his delegates, but like his spokespeople, his. Um, um, people who spoke on his behalf on the campaign trail saying, oh yeah, we're, we're keeping a list of the people that, you know, didn't back us, you know, and that kind of like really thin skinned, um, type of, of philosophy is, is something that we really need to keep in check and that we should be alarmed about. And, um, you know, I think that this is, this is all part of what, you know, your brand is establishing here with, with brand new Congress. You know, keeping keeping the the important issues at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make a really good point. Um, you know, I was thinking about recently with individuals saying that whatever whatever happens in the Trump administration, you know, let's just wait and see what happens. And personally, I don't think we should do that. Um, it's time to mobilize right away and and work towards something something like brand new Congress. Um, you know, and you're, you're talking, and when you talk about the, the individuals that Trump has still has on his staff, it should be something to really not only raise an eyebrow at, but really look into it. Like it's, it's really scary. Um, like the Chris Kovac situation that's, you know, he's on the Trump transition team and he was one to create the most like racist law that papers please law. Which is it kind of you know reminds me of a Nazi regime where you know it compels police to ask for papers from anyone that they have a reason to like be suspicious of you know and under this law any person of color or anyone with a foreign accent can be required to prove the, their status and be jailed um, and he's he's on the staff you know and um, and the, the issues that we're facing right now as a country with, with police brutality, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't go by a week without this kind of situation happening. And, and this, it seems like it would just, the situation will just get a lot worse. So, you know, just encourage everyone to really pay attention to, you know, who these spokespeople are, these people that have absolute power. Um, it's something that everyone should be afraid of. And I think those, for those that are saying, that um, let's just wait and see what's what's going to happen. This is a this is a certain kind uh, type of person or someone who is, you know, maybe in a bubble where nothing is it doesn't really affect them because perhaps you know they don't have loved ones who are of a different race or you know immigrants or yeah yeah. There's there's a lot of that. There's you know the 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 big concern I think. Um, in, is a sort of an anecdotal view of, of America that um, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who live in the Midwest and they were Trump supporters and they are just sort of blissfully ignorant of what it's like to not be white, middle class and um, just don't, they're blind to um, to the differences and, you know, to to the kind of um, the privileged environment that they grew up in. So they, they just don't even see it. And they'll say things like, oh, I've, I've never seen anybody, you know, um, say those things to Latinos. I've never heard them say, build the wall, build the wall. Oh, I would, I would never say anything against, um, 
you know, um, a Muslim American. And then, then you prod maybe three or four or five questions deeper, and you realize that they just don't even know um, that some of their kind of basic fears and beliefs are feeding into these programs, um, these platforms that are causing prejudice. And I think I, I always compare it to baseball. It's like describing a game of baseball is the most confusing thing if the person hasn't seen the game played. Right. But when you do watch the game, it's like, oh, why did they run to the next base? Because they have to. You know, and it's like <laughs> once they see the game played, it's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, okay, that's how they, that's why they do this. Now I understand it. And I just don't think that a lot of people have been confronted with that type of thing that um, even if they do – have a cousin or a a coworker um, who is gay or a person of color um, that there's already this kind of um, unreasonable um, expectation of being on one's best behavior of being the bigger person in areas of the country where where their their beliefs aren't the majority that you know white Americans haven't been aware of it. You know, that they just like, they because someone hasn't spoken up necessarily about it to them personally, because they haven't seen an effrontery to someone else's freedom, they just don't even understand that it's going on. And that doesn't necessarily make them bad people, and it doesn't make them racists, but um, it, it is just this lack of of ability to see something from the other side when you're on social media, you're, you're, there are logarithms that control what you see. You know, you're answering these these little um, these questionnaires about music or about you know what kind of pie you like to eat, and it's putting together a psychological profile of how you feel about the world, and it's taking into consideration what job you have and and what stuff you've liked on Facebook and what stuff you've posted, and it just narrows your view of the world so that if you are somebody who lives in Tennessee and you watch Fox News, that's all you're getting in your feed. You're not getting any of that other view. And if you do, then you're getting it with a clickbait headline, which may not even describe what the content is. And sometimes, you know, I see these headlines and people post, um, you know, these links to um, unsubstantiated media stories. But even when they, they post to substantiated media stories, the headline, the clickbait headline, doesn't even describe what's in the article. So right. they don't read the article or they don't watch the, the actual video. They just see it, grab it, and paste it because they think, based on headline, that it backs up their preconceived notion of the world. And as long as these social media algorithms um, make – they ensure that we're only seeing what we want to see, then we're not going to be exposed to – I mean, even our neighbors, even our, the people who live across the street, never mind the people who live across town – and um, that's been a, a really major concern for me. The other major concern is the amount of voter suppression that I don't think people understand is happening. And it's not just, you know, the big controversy was, well, how come everybody doesn't have a driver's license? You know, and, um, and because a lot, of, a lot of white middle class people have driver's licenses and they just kind of take it for granted. And it's like, well, you know, if you live in a city that's got great public transportation or if you live in an area where you can just walk to work or um, you're bicycling to work, um, then you may not have a driver's license, and they will say, well, why don't they just get a state ID? And they don't understand that sometimes the only place where you can get your state ID is only opened on the fourth or fifth Wednesday of the month, and sometimes there isn't a fifth Wednesday. And, um, you know, it, it may cost $25, and if you really honestly generally don't need an ID, the idea of having to lose a day from work and possibly get fired of traveling possibly all the way across state um, to do so. Um, and then, of course, if, if you didn't even need a driver's license, how are you getting across state? And then to have to pay for an ID, it's like if if someone is going to grandstand on this, this disproven idea of voter fraud um, being able to swing an election, then they have to provide a means for people to be able to have IDs for free. They have to make it as, as easy as possible for someone to to um, to obtain one of these things with um, proper vetting. But, I mean, the vetting shouldn't be worse than it is for anything else. And it generally happens only to people of color. 
I mean, it honestly happens generally only to people of color. And when people's names start hitting these um, these provisional ballot lists, and you're hearing about six or seven million people whose votes did not count this time around, they were not allowed to vote. Their their names did not appear um, on the voter registration rolls in their district because the Secretary of State in their state went down a list and said, well, I think this person is voting in two states without any evidence of it at all, without any proof, and just based on names. Sometimes middle names are different. Um, they're not using Social Security numbers to prove this, and they are just automatically annexing um, one-sixth or one-seventh of the minority vote in the country. And I think that when you look at provisional ballots, and provisional ballots are useless. It's basically like you get up to the the um the front of the line and you give a name and they're like, oh, your name's not in the list. And like, but I was registered to vote. Well, they don't send you an, an a mail or any any type of official document saying you've been added to a list that says you can't vote. It just happens. And so you you don't know and you go to vote and you can't vote. And rather than there being a big scene, they give you this worthless piece of paper that looks basically like a um, election ballot, and they have you fill it out in the corner like a kid with crayons at the dental office, and you hand it back in, and it means nothing. Right, and then the people that you know are waiting in line, these are the people that need to go back to work and talk about putting people in this this um, this sector of. I mean, it really is like a like the Jim Crow, like the new Jim Crow, because you know obviously these are you know poor working class people that need to get back to work. I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not able to stand in these lines for two hours. Um while, you know, people are processing Election Day work. needs to be a national holiday. Yes, absolutely. It needs to I be a national holiday. Mm-hmm. And I think that that should be a central tenet to um anybody being drafted for the, the brand new Congress idea. And um, you know, I think if if you got those those two things, if you can if if we can get election day to be a national holiday, if um, we can reel in the um, the voter suppression that's happening across the board, then there will be less of a contest. That um, I think you'll see that most Americans honestly believe in progress of of a stripe, and that um, that when the numbers come in, when the when the electorate is energized and the voting numbers come in, what you're going to see is that it's going to be pretty lopsided almost all the time, that people are going to favor things, and change is going to happen a lot quicker. And um, if we take the money out of politics, and if we put you know greater limitations on lobbying, if we, um, we make it um, impossible for the candidates to, um, to, to raise money, you know, in their offices um, in Washington, then then the campaigns are just purely, hopefully, issue-oriented, but at their worst popularity contests. And so right. then, you know, we will we will get the politicians we deserve because we will have information. It won't be other money coming into a campaign from out of state, from out of the country, even possibly. It won't be a corporation's shill running on a platform that sounds populist, but proves detrimental. Um, you won't have a case of people whose children are dying from poison water um, um, voting to strip money from the EPA. You know, like people who, who tend to vote against their interests again and again and again. I think that that stops if um, if we take the, the outside money out of politics and we guarantee everybody a vote. And, you know, if there's, if there's one other thing that, that goes on top of that, I think that one thing that could come out of a Trump presidency, one thing that he sort of campaigned on was restoring state rights. And I think that can be good in that if the state of California pays so much federal tax um, that most of that money funds states like Arkansas who just don't collect enough money, and if they realize that their social service programs are reliant upon the money that they themselves would have to raise, then they're going to have to at some point stop voting against their interests. And that could possibly be a good thing. But, um, you know, if it's also a, it's a very complicated issue. It's not, it's not that black and white. And, um, you know, obviously we are the United States of America, not just a collection of states in America. So, um, again, it's... You know, it's it's important that that everything is on every election is a local election. 
And, you know, um, to your point about, you know, money in politics, that's definitely on the table. You know, our candidates will be the sort that will not sell out and we will, you know, hold them accountable. That is a big thing. You know, a lot of people ask us, how can we guarantee that they won't sell out and just become like the regular Joneses that are currently in the House and Senate? Well, you know, we've got a lot at stake here. We've got supporters that are actually funding this campaign, and they absolutely have to sign on and agree. And if they, if we find that they are taking money from, you know, corporations and taking money from politicians, then we will have someone to replace them immediately. So this is going to be a campaign that is run that way. So that's the big thing about the NC is that we, we need to make sure that, you know, we hold them accountable through their term. And, um, you know, and every plank of the platform will be enacted on day one and we'll just, you know, it's, it's kind of a coalition of, of efforts from the people that are voting for them. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to collect names. I mean, we started in the summer to, to actually build our own database of voters, which is really great. So everyone that signs on to BNC is supports brain in Congress with a financial contribution. They will be the ones to actually vote for their candidate in the 2018 midterms. And that's one thing, that's one way we'll be able to completely, um, you know, attack the voter suppression um, and voter fraud, I should say, voter fraud uh, issue is that we intend on overwhelming the polls. All we need really is 20 to 30 percent voter turnout. And we can actually, you know, as long as we bring that excitement and energy that we that we had in a presidential campaign, because people really don't show up. <laughs> to the midterms, you know, and a lot of people, if you ask anyone, any of your neighbors who their congressperson is, chances are they won't know. Just ask five or six people on the street. But the big thing is we'll get the name out for, for the people that they actually know. Like, think think about voting for your high school principal who inspired you, you know. Think about that and think about all of the, the, the members of the PTA that have stood behind this this principal who's, you know, and, and can vouch for them in their every single every single move for the past 20 to 50, 50 years. And think about that. Think about getting those people to the polls and then spreading the word just in the neighborhood and throughout the district. So that's how we can win is that these will be real people, real town, tangible people that you know and trust. And so that's where, you know, we'll get these people to the polls. We'll overwhelm the polls, get to at least 20, 30 percent um, increase in the turnout. And we can make first of all make sure that we can run against the incumbent which um you know there's a lot of entrenched incumbents that have money on their side they've got political backing and um and but it's it's the integrity piece it's with the right um support system um we all believe that this this can truly truly happen in 2018 so and a really great thing is we've got time on our side too we've got two years to to really plan the campaign and um, and really start fresh. So hopefully by March or April of 2017, we'll have our slate of candidates and then we'll begin uh, marketing these candidates and putting them out on the website and, you know, getting voters excited about these candidates. So Excellent. Well, Isra, you're a true American patriot and a real-life superhero, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. And um, go ahead and shout out some social media. Okay, yeah. So um, if anyone wants to go on to Facebook right now by going to the Brand New Congress Facebook page, um, you can find us on Twitter at Brand New 535. And um, you can always go to brandnewcongress.org and sign up to receive our, our emails and um, sign up to donate and follow us and see what we're what we're up to. We have lots and lots of updates. Um, and so thank you so much for uh, listening in. Absolutely. Again, thanks for uh, for being on the show. And, um, you know, I'm sure that we'll have some of our listeners checking out Brand New Congress. I know that I'm already involved and on board. And um, until next time, um, you've been listening to Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. 
and um, we'll be bringing in some more very interesting culture jammers and um, political pranksters with uh, Igor from the Yes Men and um, some other really great guests. So um, don't stray too far. Make sure you're um, you're subscribing to uh, Pod Sequentialism on iTunes. Um, you can find us also on Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and on the Meltdown um, Network site. Um, until next time, it's been Pod Sequentialism. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.